Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jamie Kloss? First, I'll look at the background of this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime and offer my analysis. Jake Thomas Patterson was born on June 17, 1997. He grew up in Douglas County, Wisconsin, which is about 143 miles northeast of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jake's father, Patrick, was an electrical supply worker, and his mother, Deborah, was a homemaker. He had an older sister and an older brother. Jake did not get into trouble with the law when he was young. His brother did run into some problems. Jake's family moved to a house in Gordon, Wisconsin, which is about 70 miles to the east of where they lived. His parents divorced in 2008. Deborah moved to another town, so Jake lived with his father and his siblings in the house in Gordon. One of Jake's classmates would later say that Jake was disheartened by the divorce. Jake was described as quiet, withdrawn, intelligent, witty, polite, and nice. He had a pronounced interest in video games. Jake started high school in 2011. His high school was pretty small. There were only 35 students in his graduating class, including him. He was voted the quietest person in the class. His classmates said that Jake ignored everyone in school, and for the most part, they ignored him. He would respond to questions with one-word answers or would not respond at all. At lunch, Jake would often sit alone. When he did sit with other people, he would not talk. He did not participate in his class photograph did not attend his senior prom, and did not go to the senior class trip to Florida. Jake graduated from high school in 2015. In September of that same year, he enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps. He lasted about five weeks before he was discharged. The Marine Corps said that the character of Jake's service was incongruent with their expectations and standards. Jake worked at a turkey processing plant sometime around 2015. He quit after one day. He did not have a great work history. He had an occasional low-level job here and there, but he never stayed in one place for too long. 
One resume he submitted indicated he worked as a laborer from April to November of 2018. Jake told potential employers that he was a Marine for eight months in 2017, despite the fact that, as I mentioned, he enlisted in 2015 and was dismissed after five weeks. It appears as though Jake awarded himself a generous interpretation of his experience in the military. Jake claiming to be a Marine is like a person who climbs a tree claiming to be an astronaut. At some point, Jake's father and siblings moved out of the family house in Gordon, Wisconsin. Jake remained there alone in the house. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. In early October 2018, Jake started a job at a cheese plant in a town about 10 miles west of Barron, Wisconsin. Barron is about 67 miles south of the house where Jake lived in Gordon. When Jake was driving to work on his first day, he had to stop on Highway 8 in Barron for a school bus. Jake noticed a 13-year-old student named Jamie Lynn Kloss getting on the bus. He decided that he was going to kidnap her. Jake did not know her, and he did not know how many people lived in her house. The next day would be Jake's second and final day at the cheese plant because he quit. Jake was now going to make kidnapping his job. He went to Walmart and bought a black mask. On October 5, 2018, Jake drove to Jamie's house in order to kidnap her. There were several vehicles in the driveway at that time, and Jake decided it was too risky. On October 7, he returned, but once again became uneasy, this time because he saw lights on and people walking around in the house. On October 15, Jake was ready to try again. He had made a number of preparations for the kidnapping. Jake was in possession of his father's Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. He had six shotgun shells, specifically slugs. He cleaned the shotgun and the shotgun shells. He did not want to leave any DNA or fingerprints on them. Jake shaved all the hair off of his head and face. He showered and dressed in all black, including a mask, a hat, and two pairs of gloves. Jake removed the dome light and the trunk light from his Ford Taurus, and he removed the emergency trunk release from inside the trunk. Jake drove to an area just a few miles away from Jamie's house. He approached a vehicle that was parked in someone else's yard and removed the license plate. He drove a little farther, stopped on the side of the road, and replaced his license plate with the stolen one. Jake continued driving toward Jamie's house and arrived sometime around 12.50 a.m. He turned his headlights off and parked at the end of the driveway. Jake exited his vehicle and approached the house. At this time, there were three people in the house, 13-year-old Jamie, her 56-year-old father, James, and her 46-year-old mother, Denise. When Jake pulled into the driveway, Jamie woke up because her dog started barking. She looked out of a window and noticed that there was a man with a firearm in the driveway. She, of course, did not recognize that this was Jake Patterson. Jamie went to her parents' bedroom and woke them up. Jamie and her mother hid in the bathroom with the door locked as her father, James, went to the front door. James had a flashlight and was shining it through a window so he could see outside. Jake saw James and yelled for him to get on the ground. James continued to shine the flashlight. At this time, Jake approached the front door. He opened the storm door and could see James looking through a small glass window 
in the center of the main wooden door. James yelled something like, show me your badge. He must have believed that Jake was a police officer. Jake pointed the shotgun through the small window in the door and fired at one time. James was struck and killed. Jake attempted to break the door in with his shoulder, like he kept ramming a shoulder into it, but he was unsuccessful. He cycled the action of the shotgun and fired a slug into the deadbolt lock. Jake made entry into the house and started searching it. He had a flashlight with him. There were no lights on in the house. He came across a closed door, making a mental note of it. He then searched the rest of the house and didn't find anybody. He went back to the closed door. This was the door to the bathroom where Jamie and her mother were hiding. From inside the bathroom, Denise used her cell phone to call 911. This was at 12.53 a.m. But she didn't have a chance to say anything before Jake broke the bathroom door in with his shoulder and gained entry. He told Denise to hang up the phone. She disconnected before she could say anything to the 911 operator. The operator heard some type of disturbance. The police were dispatched to the house. Jake restrained Jamie with duct tape before shooting her mother Denise one time in the head, killing her. He then dragged Jamie to his vehicle and put her in the trunk. 20 seconds after driving away from the house, Jake was passed by several police vehicles with their lights and sirens on. They drove right by Jake not knowing who he was. The police arrived at Jamie's house at 12.57 a.m., just four minutes after Denise placed the call. They found the bodies of Jamie's father and mother. They soon realized that Jamie was missing and started searching for her. As this was going on, Jake drove to the house where he lived in Gordon. He made Jamie remove her clothing, saying that he did not want to leave any evidence. Jake gave Jamie clothing that belonged to his sister. He made Jamie get under his twin bed and blocked her in with totes and laundry bins. She would spend a lot of time under that bed over the next several weeks. After about two weeks, Jake was feeling confident that he had successfully completed his criminal plan. Nobody knew that he was the killer and the kidnapper. He believed that Jamie was too frightened to try to escape. Jake and Jamie slept in the same bed, but there was no sexual contact. Jake would later say that he felt too guilty to do anything. On occasion, Jake would let Jamie out of the house to walk around, as long as there was no one else in the area. Jake occasionally had people over to the house, like friends or relatives. He told Jamie that bad things would happen to her if someone found out she was there. She had to stay under the bed when he had visitors. Jake would turn music on so Jamie could not hear what was happening in the rest of the house. On one occasion, Jake hit Jamie on the back with a handle of a tool designed to clean window blinds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi True Crime, Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. 
stories you may have heard before, and ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while, first in Amy's book of poetry, Doe, and then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. On January 10, 2019, after Jamie had been held captive for 88 days, Jake made Jamie get under the bed as usual. He told her he was leaving for about five or six hours. While he was gone, Jamie pushed the objects away from the bed and ran out of the house. At about 4.10 p.m., she encountered a woman walking her dog. Jamie said, I am Jamie Kloss. I don't know where I am. He killed my parents. Please help. I want to go home. The woman took Jamie to a neighbor's house. The police were notified. They picked Jamie up at 4.45 p.m., and started their search for Jake. It was not difficult to find him. He drove by the house just a few minutes later, looking for Jamie. The police pulled him over. Jake told them, I did it. He later confessed in more detail. On January 14, 2019, Jake was charged with two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, one count of kidnapping, and one count of armed burglary. On March 27, he pleaded guilty to all the charges except the armed burglary. That charge was dismissed as part of his deal. For the murders, Jake was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was given another 40 years for the kidnapping. Jake Patterson apologized for his crimes. He claimed that he committed the offenses mostly on impulse, even though they were clearly premeditated. Jake said that pleading guilty was his plan the whole time along, because he wanted to spare Jamie and her family the trauma of a trial. Jake has had a rough time in prison so far. In the interest of safety, he was transferred to a prison in New Mexico in July of 2019. Reportedly, Jake will not talk to anyone, including family members. Now moving to my analysis. Here are my thoughts on a few areas that stood out to me in this case. Item number one, Jake had no idea who Jamie was. Three years before the murders, Jake worked for one day at the turkey processing plant where Jamie's parents worked, but it's not clear if he even had contact with them during that day. It appears as though Jake selected Jamie as a target simply by seeing her board her school bus. Item number two, Jake's objective was to kidnap Jamie for sexual purposes. Jake said that morality was not a factor in his decision to kill Jamie's parents. He decided to kill any witnesses who were in the house, simply because it increased his chances of escaping. He knew that committing the murders would attract a lot of attention, but it didn't matter how much attention the case attracted if there was no evidence of his identity. He said a thousand FBI agents could investigate, and it would not matter. Item number three, Jake's plan was almost successful. If not for Jamie's courage, Jake would have never been caught. He left no DNA, fingerprints, or other evidence of the crime scene. Even though the police passed his Ford Taurus on the way to Jamie's house, they had no idea the significance of that vehicle. Jake had no criminal history, and he was not on 
the radar of the police. They didn't believe that they had any reason to talk to him or to pay attention to him in any way. The police actually believed that Jamie's parents must have been the targets. They thought that perhaps somebody the couple worked with was involved. The crime scene was so devoid of any evidence that the police gobbled up a theory that the murders were the result of a turkey processing plant-fueled homicidal rage. Only later, after the escape, would the police go cold turkey from that theory. Item number four, what type of mental health and personality factors could be at work with Jake Patterson? Clinicians assessed Jake and determined he had no mental illnesses. As far as his personality, Jake appeared to have mid-range openness to experience, low conscientiousness, he was impulsive and had a terrible job history, low extroversion, he was quiet and stayed to himself, low agreeableness, he was willing to commit murder, and mid-range neuroticism, although he did have difficulty resisting temptation. Jake appears to have a few psychopathic characteristics, like a parasitic lifestyle and impulsivity. He also has narcissistic characteristics, like a lack of empathy, a sense of entitlement, and selfishness. Now moving to the final item, number five. What do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. As Jake was growing up, he became increasingly isolated and antisocial. He once said that he hated everyone, but no one in particular. He contradicted himself somewhat by then saying that he liked everyone he knew, but hated society as a whole. There is this dynamic with Jake Patterson where he would have an affinity for people who were close in proximity, but he had no empathy or compassion whatsoever for people he never met. This creates an interesting dividing line that does not exist for many sexual domination killers. Most of them do not care about people either way, whether they are close or they are strangers. Jake did not want normal contact with other people, but he did want a romantic and sexual partner. Over time, he became increasingly frustrated that his social awkwardness was preventing him from finding romance. For example, his high school classmates said that Jake became more irritable starting in his junior year. It's like nothing was going the way that Jake wanted. He started thinking about how he could force the situation to go his way. Jake did not have a lot of contact with role models. He didn't have anybody to look up to. As he started constructing bizarre, unusual, and dangerous ideas, no one was there to correct him. He couldn't bounce those ideas off of anybody and see what type of response there would be. Jake started having intrusive, obsessive, and narcissistic fantasies about taking a young girl prisoner. He said he wanted to dominate and torture her. These fantasies continued for several months before his crime. They grew in intensity. He wanted to make his fantasies a reality. Jake understood the risks of trying to kidnap a girl. He calculated the probability of getting away and determined that his best chance was to conduct a home invasion, kill any witnesses, and kidnap his victim. Jake realized that he may still get caught. He suggested that it was worth dying for the opportunity to have a girl, even if only for a week. When Jake committed this crime, he was looking to satisfy his needs and then die, perhaps in a shootout with the police. He said if the police had tried to pull him over in his Ford Taurus, he would have shot at them. After killing Jamie's parents and kidnapping her, Jake found himself in an unexpected position. He managed to get away with his crime, 
but he was not able to follow through with the sexual component due to feelings of guilt and shame. This connects back to that dividing line that Jake had as far as his feelings toward other people. With Jamie close to him, he could not bury his shame. Seeing Jamie in person was different than seeing her from afar. Now, in his mind, she had become a human being, at least to some degree. I don't think that Jake really had a long-term plan. When Jamie was in his house, they played board games and talked. I think that he was hoping that he could win her over someday, like maybe she would fall in love with him. His greatness would dazzle her to such an extent that she wouldn't even think about how he murdered her parents and kidnapped her. Jake's belief reveals the power and strength of his narcissism. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Allegedly is back for season two, a new crime every time. In each episode of Allegedly, you'll hear a crime told to you by the person who experienced it, intermingled with actor portrayals, original music, immersive soundscapes, to create a cinematic experience for your ear. Season two's stories include a young woman finding salvation in God, only to realize the leader of her church was running a sex cult. A case of a con artist swindling a kindly older man until he couldn't do anything to stop her. A landlord exploiting a mentally disabled man and keeping him a virtual prisoner. An act of bullying spinning a promising young man's life into total chaos. And a luxury boat captain inexplicably detained in a foreign prison with seemingly no hope of ever getting out. New episodes release every other week. Look for Allegedly from Voyage Media anywhere you listen to podcasts.